Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, we are in a series we're calling Getting a Grip. Um, getting a Grip on Life. Getting a Handle on Those, those Vital Aspects of Our Life. And, and it's all centered around this prayer um, that Moses prayed. It's recorded in Psalm 90, where he just said simply, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us how to make life count. In in light of your grand purpose, your grand story, what you are doing in this world, teach us each day that we we might live with this heart of wisdom, that we might know how to make better decisions, how we might be able to live more wisely. And we've been looking at a couple different aspects of this. We talked about um, the importance of, of your priorities, that, that filling your life with what matters most. When you decide to live each day as if it were your last, as this is the day that I want to make count, you start filling it with, with stuff that matters, mostly people and relationships. Um, we talked a couple weeks ago about um, decision-making and, and, and understanding that it's not the big decisions of your life, it's the little daily decisions. And that's why this prayer is so important. That in my daily decisions, my, those little life choices that I make every day, Lord, teach me how to make them wisely because they put me on a path that leads somewhere. And the last week we were talking about finances, how to better manage our money, that, that God has indeed supplied us with more than we need and that He's given us this extra and, and it's our, our job is to, to carve out a bit of that extra, not just to spend on ourselves, but for God's kingdom purposes. And, uh, and it was just kind of fortuitous, I guess, because um, last Sunday I got this email. But I'd read it to you. Speaking of finances and money and everything, he says, um, My name is Greg Williams, and I got your contact on my personal search for the person I want to will my money to. Please, I have willed the sum of one million. 500,000 U.S. dollars to you. That is the only money I have left in my account right now. Please, if you really want to know why I have willed this money to you and you want the money to be transferred to you, please contact me immediately with your full details to know why I am willing you the money. I know. It's like, I just preached about this. Man, that's a lot of extra. He writes... Right now I am in the hospital emailing you. I will be glad to hear from you as soon as you know my reasons. It is from my heart. Thank you for your understanding. And here's where I caught on. God bless you, Pastor Greg Williams, Blessing Church of Christ. Now I know no pastor has $1,500,000. That's when I figured it out. It was a scam. This morning we're going to talk about another aspect of our life. It's a very vital aspect. It's it's our relationships. And uh, Solomon wrote about it this way in Ecclesiastes 4, if you want to turn there. Verses 9 to 12, he wrote these words. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help him up. If two lie together, this is my wife's favorite verse, by the way. If two lie together, they will keep warm. As she puts her cold hands on my back. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. What Solomon wrote 3,000 years ago is true to this very day. And it's true to this day because it has always been true since creation. 
God designed us with this capacity for connection. That he never intended us to live life on our own. That we are meant to live life in community, in connection with other people. And, and you will never fulfill God's purpose for your life in isolation. It just cannot be done. The only way you can fill God's purpose for your life, the only way that you can see how your life fits in his grand picture is to be connected with other believers, with other people. And he says, that's why it's so important because if one falls down, there'll be another to help them up. If, if they're working together, two can accomplish more than one, either one of them on their own. And in fact, that's why God designed the church. 3,000 years ago, Solomon wrote those words. A thousand years later, Jesus came, gave his life for us, gave us this relationship with him, but not in isolation. He put us together in his church. And his church is meant to be a community of followers who are living out their life mission, not just individually, but together. And his goal and his design for our life is that we live life in community. And that's why so much of the New Testament is filled with instructions on how to get along with one another. The other verse we're going to look at this morning is found in Ephesians uh, chapter 4. And this is Paul's letter to a church in a city called Ephesus. And he wrote these words. He said, as a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one baptism when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. And then verse 11, he goes on and explains this. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, he starts this whole thing saying, live a life worthy of the calling you would, you've received. And you would expect what would come right after that is a lot of teaching on moral and ethical behavior. He says, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And you would expect him to teach on doctrine and, and what that life looks like and, and how you ought to do this and not do that. And you would think, that's what you would think he would be leaning up to. But he says, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And then he starts talking about relationships. Because what he's saying is, you can't live this life that you've been called to live by yourself. It's meant to be lived in community. Specifically, God's community. His body, the church. And so this morning, we're going to talk about that a little bit. What does that look like? What does real, true, authentic community look like? Because one of the things he tells us is, it doesn't come automatically. He says, true community requires constant attention. 
Look at verse 3. He says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Any meaningful relationship takes work. It doesn't happen automatically. And that's why he says this. Make every effort. It's actually just one word in Greek. It's translated with three words in the English. But it has to do with exert yourself. Give yourself to this. Engage in it wholeheartedly. And what he's saying is, you got to work at this. You gotta, if you're going to live the life worthy of the calling that you have received, then it's going to have to happen in community, and it's going to be hard work. Because meaningful relationships require effort. They don't happen automatically. Now, look at what he says. He says, there is God's part, and there is our part. He says, this unity comes from God. It's all the work of His Holy Spirit. He said, there is one body and one spirit, and you are called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. He says, God has done this. God has already made this a reality. Now, he says, work on it. You have a part to play. You and I have a part to play. God, he says, we are one because we have a shared experience. We have a shared salvation. We have a shared rescue from our sin. We have a shared renewal of our life. We have a shared spirit of God who is at work in each and every one of us individually. We have a shared father who is over all. He says, that's the reality. But, but you got to work at this. Because even though God has already accomplished his part of it, you and I have to work at it. And we have to work at it every single day. And it's your responsibility and my responsibility to guard and maintain that. To make sure that it happens. That God's grace has made us one with Him. But it's also made us one with each other. I don't know if you've noticed, if you read through the New Testament, particularly the letters that Paul writes to these churches, half of it has to do with doctrine and sound teaching, but half of all the letters always have to do with relationship issues. Either stuff that was going on in the church about people who were arguing or fighting or, or people who were teaching one thing and not another. and So much of it is relational because that's what it comes down to. And so much of the New Testament is just teaching us how to learn to get along with each other. Because here's the truth of it. God uses other people to shape our character. That's how God does it. And particularly, He uses difficult people to shape our character. That's how he does it. God specifically puts difficult people in your life to shape you. Now, it would be much easier if they would change. You know? I mean, I hear this ad on radio, Uncle Maddie, the dog trainer. You know, he says, don't put up with a, disbe- you know, um, a disobedient dog. Send him to me. I'll teach you how to love and how, to, how, to, how your dog can, can better behave. Wouldn't it be great if there was like people trainers? Then you could take those difficult people in your life and send them off for a week or two to this guy and they come back just perfect, you know, and get along with you real easy. I mean, wouldn't that be great? I mean, honestly, just show a hand this morning. How many would say you can think of at least one, at least one difficult person in your life? Anybody? Okay, now, if you can't think of anybody, you know, send me an email this week. I'll be happy to share some of mine. I got a list. (laughs) God put those people in your life to change you. Now, none of us want to hear that. We want the other people to change. But God's put those people in your life 
to change you. God puts us together in this imperfect community called the church with all these strange people, with all their quirks and idiosyncrasies and on and on and on, talking and never stopping and blah, 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 to shape us, to shape you. It's not about those other people changing. And, and here's the way that we approach it. What we do instead is we just, it would be much easier, we just avoid those people. We just don't hang out with them. And if you don't hang out with them, you will never learn what God is trying to teach you. Because he specifically put those difficult people in your life. And here's the truth. If you avoid those, he'll just send you some others. <laughs> he will. Because that's how he shapes our character. That's what this is all about. Um, and, and, and I think one of the best things you, we could do, every one of us could do, is when we're faced with a difficult person, is to ask ourselves, okay, God, what needs to change in me? What needs to change in me. Now, I'm not proud of this, but I've discovered there's some things that need to change in me. This last Monday night, we have, um, in our, we've been married like 34, almost 35 years this summer. And so we pretty much you know, distributed out the, the who does what in the household, who takes out the garbage, who cooks, and everything. And, and one of the things is on Mondays is my day off. So Mondays, I cook dinner. And so what usually the, the way that it works is I cook dinner, my wife cleans. See, that's kind of the, that's how, that's how it's supposed to be. Well, this past Monday night, uh, and she warned me ahead of time. She said, you know, I've got a lot of stuff to do. I'm probably going to be home late. So, you know, don't start dinner early, you know, finish it. She said, well, I said, what time? She said, well, between 6, 6, 15. I said, okay, fine. So I didn't start dinner until like 6 o'clock. Then it wouldn't take very long to cook, you know, so by 6, 15, I'm ready to eat. She's not home. She said she would be home between 6 and 6.15, but 6.15 and she's not home. Dinner's ready. I'm hungry. She's not home. Fine. That lasted about five minutes. Then I was just too hungry, so I went ahead and ate without her. I thought, well, it's her own fault. Finally, finally, she gets home at 6.30. Well, I already ate without you. That's fine, you know, just you know, warm it up, I'll eat it, you know. So, of course, now I'm done eating, and now she's eating, but there's a mess to be cleaned up. And, and that's her job, you see, but she's eating. So now I, not only did I cook dinner, now I've got to clean up dinner, okay? So I'm cleaning up dinner, and I'm putting stuff in the, you know, jiggling the glasses as I put them in the dishwasher, and I put the plates up in the cabinet, and I kind of, well, I don't slam it, but I don't close it quietly, and, and then on top of it, because things have been pretty stressful in our house the last couple of weeks. It's been kind of crazy. And on top of all this, um, she was called in for jury duty. So she's got to call in on Monday night to find out if she's got a report on Tuesday morning. So she gets on the phone while she's eating, and I'm cleaning up dinner, and I'm making all this racket. And then she says to me, get this, she says to me, shh, I can't hear what they're saying. Yeah. Well, okay, now, like, I was a little perturbed before. But now, like, I'm really ticked, okay? And I'm just doing because my spiritual gift is pouting. So I'm just, this is just working up and working up and working up inside of me. And then she says to me, what's wrong? Nothing. See, I can play that game too. Okay, I am not proud of this. I wanted her to change. I wanted her to be on my schedule. I wanted her to do things her way and and do her job and not let me do her job. But 
the longer it went on, the more I realized the problem wasn't her, it was me. I need changing. And, and that's the deal. I need changing. You need changing. And it's those circumstances in life. It's those difficult people in life. It's those, it's those relationships that matter that remind me how much I need to change. See, he says, as, as, if it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You do your part because you can't change that other person. So you do your part. He goes on, he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. See, it's real easy to believe I am humble. It is really easy for me to convince myself I am patient until I am faced with the reality of a situation that points out, no, you're not. God puts people in our lives to shape our character. And it is our job to do what, let God do what he wants to do in us instead of trying to change the other person. Second thing he talks about here, that in, in true community, everybody has a contribution to make. Everybody makes their contribution. When, when the church is functioning as it should, then everybody is making their contribution. He goes on, verse 7. To each one of us, God has given... Now, how many? To each one of us. God, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. And then he goes on. Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, so that... See, here's the, here's the so that. This is the important thing. This is what he's saying. So that the body of Christ may built up, be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. See, he said this is all about unity. Everybody's got a part to play in this. But it's so that we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. He says there are some apostles, some teachers, some pastors... There's like all these different gifts that God has given to the church. And the gifts are people. <laughs> In fact, if you read through the New Testament, there's at least 25 separate spiritual gifts that are listed throughout the New Testament. And he says God put them in the church. Each one, everybody in the church has at least one gift so that they might be used to build up the whole body of Christ. I am fully convinced that everything that God, that we need as a church to fulfill God's mission for us is right here in this room. All the resources, all the talents, all the gifts, all the abilities that we need as a church to fulfill God's mission in our community is right here in the people in this room. I am convinced of that because that's what Scripture teaches. Every church has those people. And everyone needs to do their part because... You can't accomplish your purpose that God has for you in your life without the rest of the church body because it's a far bigger plan than you can handle. You are just frankly not that gifted. (laughs) But we all are gifted and none of us can do what all of us can do. You can't fulfill God's purpose for your life alone and the church cannot fulfill its purpose in its community without you.
Both are needed. Now, we talk about this a lot, and I preach sermons on this a lot, and I tell people, you know, you really need to get involved. You're not going to find what you really are supposed to do until you find your gift, until you get involved in ministry. And I preach until I'm blue in the face, but still, better than 50% of those who call Northgate their church home are not doing anything. Now, that is harming the body of Christ. That is keeping us from fulfilling the calling that God has placed upon us. And God has gifted you to do something. And you've got to make your contribution. Or we all suffer for it. See, this all ties together. God uses the body of Christ to shape our character. He uses people in our, in our church family to help shape our character. But then he gives us something to give back, to contribute to the life of the body and the health of the body. And so he says, that's why you've got to do your, th- your part. God is an equal opportunity employer. Everybody's got something to do. No one is useless in the body of Christ. Now, this has been a foundational principle since the day we started Northgate. And in the early days, it was real easy because there weren't very many of us and there was a lot to be done. Anybody could find something to do, probably three or four things. But the great mistake that happens now that we've become a little bit more established, we've got our own property, we've got our own building, we've got a nice place to meet, you know, we've got a great children's ministry, we've got cool stuff happening in our student ministries. We got all these things. So it's real easy to sit back and think, well, nobody needs me. You couldn't be more wrong. Everybody is needed. You are needed. Your contribution matters. See, this is what he said. Look at verse 16. From him, that's Christ, who gave all of these gifts, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up as the pastor does the work. Wait, wait, wait. No, that's not what it says. As each part does its work. See, the only way that the whole body grows and builds itself up in love is when each part does its work. And we need you and you need us. I need you. You need me. That's how the body of Christ is supposed to function. Now, I'm in my 50s now. And here's the thing that I've noticed as I I was approaching my 50s and now that I'm well into it. I noticed that, that certain things don't work in my body like they used to. You know, about 15 years ago, I began to notice my hearing was starting to go. And now in one ear, it's completely gone. (laughs) And and I noticed about 10 years ago that my eyesight was changing. (laughs) And what I discovered is that the older my body gets, it doesn't function like it used to when it was young. And the same thing can happen in a church. That a church, as it gets older, cannot function like it used to unless there is new, fresh, young ministry happening coming up and every one of us in this room have been gifted by God to do something and you've got a contribution and the thing to do is figure out in the same way we talked about last week that you've got this extra in your finances so you got to carve out some of it you got to figure out how to do that so you can use it for God's work in this world the same thing is true with your time we talked about it a little bit last week you got to carve out you got to you got to decide ahead of time you got to pre-decide I'm going to do what God has called me to do 
You make the decision to do it, then you figure it out. Now, we've got, we've, got, we've got classes to help people discover that. The journey class is one way. But the very, very best way to discover what your gift is and what God has called you to do is simply do something to get involved. Our high schoolers are away at weekend retreat uh, this weekend. And I was talking, to, they gathered up here up at the church um, Friday to, to load up and head out. And I was talking with one of the new youth leaders, one of the youth, youth um, uh, volunteers in our youth department. And he was saying to me, he says, you know, he said, I never thought I would be in a high school ministry. He said, my, you know, my teen years were just so messed up. <laughs> and I didn't think I would I'd be ever able to do anything to help teenagers. He said, what I realized is my teenage years are the perfect reason for me to be involved in youth ministry. See, you've got talents, you've got gifts, you've got abilities, you've got experiences. Put them to use so that the whole body may be built up. And then the last thing that's required in true community is honest communication. Honest communication. He goes on and says, Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. He says, not only do we need each other to shape each other's character, and not only do we need all the gifts to be in operation so that we all grow up to maturity, but we also need to be able to speak the truth in love so that we in all things will grow up into him who is the head, which is Christ. Every life needs a truth teller. Every one of us. Because we have this propensity to drift. We have this tendency toward sin. It is a natural bent in every one of us. And we need other people who will look out for us and, and will, will help us and point out those things and, and guide us through those, those difficult rapids that we sometimes put ourselves in. Every life needs a truth teller. Because given the right set of circumstances, every one of us in this room are capable of any sin. Given the right opportunity, given the right set of circumstances, including me, every one of us, are capable of any sin. So we need other people to help keep us on track. We have this tendency to drift. Talked about this a couple weeks ago. These little decisions that we make, those are the ones that matter more than the big decisions. And, and those little decisions like, well, I don't really need to be in a community group. You know, I just don't have the time to serve in ministry. Oh, yeah, you know, I, I, I know I should be gathering together with other believers on, on a Sunday morning, but, you know, um, the snow is great. <laughs> and it's those little decisions. And, and none of those in and of themselves are that bad. But this tendency to drift keeps us making those kinds of decisions. And we need somebody that will point out to us because we got these blind spots. And we all need somebody that will hold us accountable, that will say, listen, I see the path you're going down and I know where it goes. And I know what most of you are thinking to yourself. You're all thinking, but that's none of my business. That's none of my business. Who am I to butt into somebody else's life? He says, you are a body. It is your business. <laughs> it's my business. Whose responsibility is it for my left hand? The rest of my body. You know, if I'm, 
If I'm working with a table saw and, and I'm cutting a piece of paper, uh, a piece of wood, and, and I'm running my hand towards a saw blade and my left hand is getting close to that blade and the rest of my body says, oh, well, it's none of my business. <laughs> ah, it's probably going to hurt, but, you know, I don't want to butt in. You know, who am I to say? I'm not a hand. You know, it's not my part. It's the body's responsibility to take care of the body. And you've got a responsibility. Now, that means you've got to have those kinds of close relationships with people. It means you, know, you need to be contributing into the life of each other so that you can be the person who is there. I have people in my life. I have one particular person in my life. That's my go-to person. It's one person I can, I can talk about anything, what's going on in my life. It's a person that has... A, they have the freedom to ask me all the hard questions that I need to be asked. You need at least one of those people in your life. Because we are responsible for each other. We are a body. Now, I know the other thing that most people say is, okay, maybe it is my business, but who am I to go and talk to them? I mean, after all, I'm not perfect. I mean, I got my own. In fact, the reason I see that in them is because I see it in myself. So who am I? Now, what parent hasn't thought, I can't raise my teenager and tell them not to do that stuff because I did that when I was a teen. Is that a reason to not correct your teenager? No. It's all the more reason to correct them because you know where that path leads. He says, you don't have to be perfect to care for one another. In fact, in fact, let's do this. Let's, let's say that that is the case. Let's say the only people that have the right to speak truth into other people's lives are people who are perfect. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna establish a brand new ministry. We're going to establish the confrontation committee. Okay, and the way that we're going to do this is only the people who are perfect. Okay, so since we're all here this morning, here's what I want to do. If you have never fouled up, if you've never drifted, if you've never messed up, if you're not struggling with something right now in your life, would you please stand up because we need you on this committee? <laughs> Nobody's standing. What does that mean? It means you don't have to be perfect to be able to speak truth into somebody else's life. We sang about it this morning. Everyone needs compassion. Kindness of a Savior. Everybody needs that kind of person in their life who will be Jesus to them. Who will point out what's going on so that they would stay away from the stuff that will be harmful to them and destructive to them. He says, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Now, there is a right way and there is a wrong way to do this. And let's just say up front, it will be awkward. Those kind of conversations, nobody likes. The confronter nor the confrontee. Well, I take that back. There are some people who seem to be able to do it with great regularity, with no problem at all. But most of us... We don't relish those kinds of conversations. So let's just say up front, it's going to be awkward. It's going to be difficult. But the way that you do it is with those things that he talked about all the way back at the beginning. Be kind. Be compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Humility, patience, kindness gentleness forgiving because the ultimate goal in that confrontation in that honest conversation that ultimate goal is restoration forgiveness 
renewal. And if you keep that end goal in mind, it will change the way that you approach it. I am fully convinced that God has placed within this body, Northgate Christian Fellowship, all that we need to accomplish His work in this world. And the answers to all that we need are sitting in the chairs this morning. But we need to care for one another. We need to serve one another. We need to support and sometimes even confront one another. Got to be willing to do this if we're truly going to fulfill what God has called us to do. Bow your heads with me. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.